Finding the perfect project manager isn't easy. But at Upwork, we found him. He's in Adelaide. Between his color-coordinated sticky note collection and the cutest box lunch we have ever seen. And you can find him right now on Upwork.com. When the world is your workforce, finding the perfect project manager, designer, developer, or whomever you may need tends to fall right into place. Find top-rated talent who can start today on Upwork.com. Well, it's season five and what a guest we have to start us off. First, some gig news. If you're in Dublin, I will be playing a solo show at the Workman's Club on the 31st of May. That's a Thursday night. It's the Thursday of the June Bank holiday weekend. So for the rest of the weekend, I will be at the Cat Laughs Festival in Kilkenny. Also, if you're in the UK during the year, I will be support for some of the dates on Sarah Millican's Control Enthusiast Tour. I've done some of them already and they are so much fun. That show is brilliant. So go see Sarah Millican's new show. It's absolutely amazing. I've got all my gigs listed on Garo farrelly.com remember if you like this show please share it with your friends and it would really help me out if you could share a link to it on social media or leave a lovely review on itunes but it's season five nothing's changed here's the crappy music let's get going Hello, you are very welcome to a new season of Fascinated. Are you excited? Because I am very excited. Mainly I'm excited because of my guest. This was the second time I had met Michelle Gale. The first time was in the late 90s and she was playing an invite-only show in Dublin and I won a competition to go and I got to meet her and I have to say I was out of my mind with excitement. In fact, I was reminded about this on the radio recently and that was what made me think I have got to get Michelle Gale for an episode of Fascinated. They told me because I was only 14 or 15, I'd bring my dad. Your dad? So my dad... So this 50-year-old man from Glasnevin is... It was just horrendous. And like, in fair play to him, my dad, he's completely unflappable. But uh, he, oh, it was awful. Like, he was like, I was dancing beside my dad to Michelle Gale. <laughs> and then I got to meet her and he was like, yeah, sister was a good singer. I was like, tell me you're embarrassing me in front of Michelle Gale. See, dads, dads, they just don't care. That's what I love about they don't, yeah, yeah, he was great. But I was just like, stop it, leave me alone. And I thought I was gorgeous as well. Because I wore this check shirt. <laughs> Kind of like my, it was my first going out. Like, right. And I actually describe, left it open. Describe the, de- the, the, the wardrobe in detail. Go oh, on. I looked absolutely great. I was in Dunn's jeans. Yeah. Uh, I had a blue shirt and I left Ooh. it open so you could see me vest. Oh, I thought, a vest. Yeah, tramp garage. New kids on the block. <laughs> well, the worst thing that happened was, I remember there was two lads kissing when she was singing her big ballad and my dad was like, no, oh, there, now, that's homosexuality. It's like we're talking about this in a few years. <laughs> yeah, just, yes. Just listen Dad, to Michelle. you have a big shock coming. Well, it can't be that big a shock. He was at Michelle Gale. He was at Michelle and you were there in your groovy little vest. Yeah. Um, what a night. My dad has never been the same. If you don't know Michelle, let me catch you up. She started her career as an actress. She appeared as Fiona in the teen soap Grange Hill. She then went on to play Hattie in EastEnders. But in the background, Michelle was working on her first passion, music. 
In the post-Kylie gold rush in the 90s, a lot of soap stars were trying their hand at pop careers, but most of them were just falling at the first hurdle. Even Kylie Minogue took years to shake off the neighbour's tag. But Michelle Gale succeeded where Kylie had struggled. She shook off the soap actress tag in mere months. When her debut album was launched, Michelle was quickly perceived as following in the footsteps of Gabrielle rather than Kylie Minogue. She was as R&B as she was pop and she wrote eight of the tracks on her first album. And it helped that mostly she sang live on TV performances. She had monster hit singles with songs like Freedom, Happy Just To Be With You, and of course her massive hit, Sweetness. This was capped off by two Brit Award nominations for Best Single and Best Female Artist. Around this time she met a competition winner in Dublin in a spectacular shirt and I'm sure the whole experience changed her life. Just 18 months after the last single from her first record, Michelle was back in the charts with a new sound, a new album and a new haircut. The song Do You Know was the lead single from the campaign for her second album. It was followed quickly by Sensational, the title track of the new album. When it was released, the album debuted much higher than her previous record. But despite this success and another Brit nomination for Best Female Artist, that was the last music we heard from Michelle Gale. Later there were reports of her changing record labels in a big money deal, but she didn't release any more music. So what the hell happened? Well, there was some stuff going on in the background, and when we met, Michelle explained it all. This brings us up to 1999. At the time, Toni Braxton had negotiated to be the first black woman to play a Disney princess on stage. She would take over the role of Belle in Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. While in negotiations, Toni Braxton met the writers of the show, Alan Menken and Tim Rice, for what turned out to be a boozy dinner, during which she said that she would sign her contract if they would write a new song for her. Tim Rice agreed because he was drunk. They did and the production was a big success, so much so that Disney decided they wanted to relaunch the West End production with the new song and they wanted to cast Michelle Gale as Belle. After her time in the West End, Michelle's next project is one that still horrifies her. She took part in what sounds like an amazing idea for a TV show, Reborn in the USA. Michelle, along with a number of other ex-pop stars, including Tony Hadley, Sonia, Gina G and Elkie Brooks, took part in a tour across the US, performing each week in different cities with a singer voted off at the end of each show. It sounds simple, but it didn't really work like that. Firstly, the hotels where they were staying were horrific, but that aside, none of the acts were particularly well known in the US. So the live shows were filmed in front of disinterested audiences of stag nights and anyone the production runners could coax into the show. The show rapidly became about pop singers competing to stay sane rather than seen for a new record deal. Let me reassure you now, me and Michelle absolutely talked about Reborn in the USA. After Reborn, Michelle worked with various producers on some tracks and even competed to represent the UK in the 2008 Eurovision. She lost out to former X Factor contestant Andy Abraham and everyone was surprised. In fact, the lighting and the camera angles went to Michelle when the winner was announced. 
I met Michelle in the dressing room of the Blackpool Grand Theatre, where she was performing in the musical Son of a Preacher Man. I say this about a lot of my guests, but Michelle really is one of the nicest people I have interviewed. You realise within about two seconds of meeting her that she's really, really smart and she isn't somebody that just needs you to sit there paying her compliments. These days, she's just as comfortable reviewing the papers on Sky News as she is singing her heart out on stage. We didn't get to talk about it, but more recently she has written three novels. It's also worth mentioning, she is absolutely fantastic in Son of a Preacher Man, and even though it's probably unlikely that she's going to ever revive her pop career, it's pretty obvious that she could if she wanted to. This is the fantastic Michelle Gale. Michelle Gale. Hello. <laughs> Hello. You're on tour at the moment. I am. Yeah, yes. so we're, we're in, for change <laughs> for this series, we are actually in a very beautiful, sterile, a little bit sterile maybe, dressing room. How are you? Yeah, you're, you're at the start of the tour. I'm at, I'm at the start. This is my third week in. The tour's been running uh, before I would, had joined for about four or five months. And then I joined three weeks ago. This is my third week. Uh, yeah, and I'm in Blackpool at the moment, um, but I am coming to Dublin, which I've got to You say, must be excited we, about. We, as a cast, talk about Dublin <laughs> at least once every day. Oh God, I hope it lives up to, like, I really, I, I, I really know, hope right? it lives up to expectations. <laughs> um, Alice Barlow, um, who's in the cast and she's from Hollyoaks, she's never been and we talk it up. So <laughs> now I'm starting to think, gosh, I hope it delivers, but it will, because it's Dublin and Dublin always delivers. <laughs> it will, okay. Mm. Okay, we need to make this happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to be really worried for Alice yeah. if she's having, yeah. if you've a quiet mat, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have, uh, we've, we've, we've assured her that Dublin will, will deliver. Both on stage and off stage, we've got some plans. <laughs> okay, okay, that's going to be exciting. Now, it's, at the, it's at the Grand Canal Theatre in May. Yes. So, yeah, everyone check out tickets. But in the meantime, are you, like, we're doing an interview. Are you, at this point, because it's Michelle Gale mm. in a musical, are you kind of a bit sick of interviews? Do, uh, do you know what? I'm not at the moment. I think, um, hey, come on, it's all part of it. And I'm really proud of the talent within the show and the talent I'm working with. So it's it's always nice when you've got something good to say. It's a bit okay. harder well, yeah. when you're doing a job that you can't <laughs> stand. Yeah, just, uh, this is a mortgage payment. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah. it's a lot harder. So, <laughs> yeah. But this is nice because first of all, we get on really well and they're very talented. So it's, it's easier to talk about them. Okay, um, we've met before, yes. I have to say this. I was going to say, I knew I knew We have you. met this, we've met before. Um, in Dublin? We met in Dublin. Yeah. I won a competition. For? To go to an exclusive Michelle Gale concert. No way! That's at brilliant! the Pod Nightclub oh in God, 1994, yes. maybe, 95. The yes. amazing. Is yeah. it still there? It, I think so. Yeah, and I was one. Of, I was a competition winner, and because I was young, mm. and everyone else was just really excited to be at an exclusive event in the pod. Yeah, and I was just like, "Can I meet Michelle Gale?" Oh. And the PR lady was like, "Yes, no problem." But the problem was, mm. I had to have my dad with me. Oh, my first nightclub experience was with my dad, dad clapping cool. out of time oh, to no, happy just to be with you. Cool. <laughs> that's that not, not good. Cool. It was not good. Oh, um, and that day, my mom gave me ten pounds because I 
I reckoned there was a chance I would meet you and the only single I didn't have was Freedom. Okay. So I said, ma'am, gotta get a copy of Freedom. Yeah, just in case. So I got Freedom and then of the change, I bought the shirt I wore and I will post a photograph and you will see that that shirt could not have cost more than three pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I'm slightly I'll better dressed today. So oh, that's brilliant. I'd love to see that picture. It's horrific. <laughs> it's horrific. <laughs> but pod. that last time I met you, mm. What was what was going on back then? Because back then, like you were, you were the girl. It was it was a crazy time. And do, do you know it sounds weird, but you're just in this kind of machine, and you're being, you literally told you're going here, 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 here. You have got very little time to take in what's happening around you because you're always on to the next thing, next thing, next thing. Um, so I always say now, I try to appreciate where I am more because rather than it just have to be a job, I yeah. try and find time to get something out of that place. Otherwise, I've gone to all these places and half of them, you know, I know so little about them. Um, so it was a great time because we made great friends in the 90s. Yeah. All of us, because they had the smash it tours and things of like course, that. Of course, yeah. We all used to hang out together on tour. And, and so it would be like me... Um, Peter Andre, All Saints, their first um, oh my first God. group of All Saints. Um, we used to have um, the boys, um, the boys' own boys of us. And we oh. just, we were like a little family. So if we see each other now, in no matter what capacity we're in, we, we've got so much love for each other because we toured together. You know, we grew up together. You you started in soap. You're, yes. you're originally in EastEnders. Yes. I always forget that. I actually always forget that you mm. did the soap to... Mm. But you seem to do it with much more cred um do you know what it was genuine so the thing is is that before i had joined eastenders i was in a group um and we'd done demos we've written our own songs um and we thought we were going to sign a deal and it kind of got snatched from us because um management were kind of a bit deceptive um, okay so we had that kind of bad experience and as we were going through that bad experience wondering should we split up is when I got the EastEnders audition. And I said, guys, I'm gonna do this because we don't know where we're at as a group. Okay. And um, I'm gonna try this EastEnders job and maybe it'll help, you never yeah. know. You know, no, that, that was the naivety of it, you know, cause you you watch EastEnders, but you don't realize the impact. So I'm thinking in my head, maybe it'll help us. I'll do this for six months and then we'll go back to the group. And of course you get into EastEnders, which is again, a, a massive machine. Yeah. So once you're in there, and you're being moved from to and fro and publicity and the family and storylines, you realise, I've got to commit to this job. It's not a six-month kind yeah. of job. Um, so, but what happened is, because the music career had been genuine from before, and because I had genuine demos and I'd written songs, this is when they say people make your luck, okay? So I was, um, I had met a manager who said, and he was quite credible, he did Dina Carroll and Eternal, and they were just they were just about to come out. Dina Carroll had just come out. And he was like, look, you know, I, I respect you, but because you're from a soap, my business partner is not really gonna be interested. So oh. he said, because we're credible. So he said, okay. he said, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait a bit and just nurture you a bit and find the right time to introduce you to my business partner. So I was like, okay, fine. So EastEnders was filmed at that point at the exact same place where Tobber Pops was filmed, the same studio, same studio building. And I was walking down the corridor. I think he was there for Dina Carroll. I was walking down the corridor and someone stopped me and said, excuse me, there's something about you. Do you sing? 
So I said, yeah, I do sing, actually. I said, I'm, I'm on the show at the moment, but I sing. He goes, yeah, can you take my card? I really want to speak to you. I want to hear you sing. And he gave me a card, and I promise you that was the business partner that the other guy had said, I can't introduce you to him oh, yet. Because wow. Yeah. And so I went, I know... I know your business partner. He went, why hasn't he brought you to me? I went, well, he was trying to time it. And so all of a sudden you had two people going, yeah, we want this girl. Um, so he listened to my demos and they were like, let's do it. We, we believe in you. We, we can see you're genuine. Your music's genuine. And that was always the approach. The approach was never soap star turned singer. And I remember them saying yeah. it's going to be really hard for you to be nominated for a Brit because, you know, they're snobby. But I did get nominated. Um, yeah. But I think it's because they could see it was genuine. But the music was great. The, you know, I, I mean, you hit song. with Looking it was Up. Looking Up first. That yeah, was brilliant. Is, yeah, That's like a great that. song. Yeah. And then... Maybe James, God bless um, Then Sweetness, Sweetness. came. Sweetness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually, I always used to get utter disdain from the local record shop for the yeah. stuff that I would buy. Yeah. And then I remember going in one day and if I, I, I could be wrong on this, I think looking up is also the B-side to Sweetness. Yeah, I think they fl- I think they put another mix of it on. Okay, I think they might because have. the guy was just literally flipping the record on right. a loop. And for the hour I was in the record shop, it was just those two songs. And I was like, well, I've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> this is incredible. I am cool. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, and that was a process, you know, looking up again, I didn't write that so I can big it up, you know. That's a song that they played to me and I was like, I want this song, 100%. And I still remember recording that in, the, his my name's David James and it's in his bedroom. I'm recording Wow. Yeah, I know. And then Sweetness ended up other other side of the coin, recording in San Francisco with Naldo Michael Warden who had done Whitney and Mariah Carey. So, you know, the, the kind of jump to to you know your career it, it sometimes it, it's surreal yeah and um, do, do you have any of those songs like say the first album because it was five maybe five yeah, six five singles, singles yeah. do you have any that are just like oh no because i i spoke to kelly Bryan yeah. and she kelly, we were talking about the um the, like the eternal run hits yeah. from the first album and uh, i mentioned save our love and she nearly threw up and she's like um say it's not too late but the thing is eternal I don't know if I can say this, but they didn't really like their first album. Whereas I liked my first album because okay, I had yeah. a lot more say in it perhaps than they did. Because remember, there's three there's, of them. Yes. Well, there was four of them in the beginning. Yes. So it's hard to please To please everyone. everyone. Whereas because it was me, I had more of a say of the songs I liked in the shape. Okay. And I had a really good relationship with my A&R man as well. So they used to say to me, oh, we like your album. We don't, okay. we, we play your album, we don't play our album. Okay. Yeah, so it was weird, wasn't it? But it, it is a great album, like it's, it's absolutely you. brilliant. Um, is there anything on it that you don't like or that you do like or what, what's, what are your standards? With the first album, it's not more, it's not that I don't like the songs, it's just more, I hate if my vocals aren't perfect, which vocals are never perfect, which means yeah. it's, you hear all the flaws. Yeah, oh, yeah. I could do that better, I could sing that better. So it's more that than actually not liking the song, it's more my performance that I analyse. Okay. Yeah. Um, and th- when the second album came out, uh, you, you kind of changed the sound a bit. It was a bit yes. guitar-y. And yeah, yeah, bit, yeah. Um, we had a bit of a um, guitar vibe on it. Was that exciting? It was very exciting. Yeah, because we had done a lot of the album in um, America, again, with, but this one with Vassal Benford. And um, I don't know how this happened, 
but they said, um, let's go and write with um, this guy, Shep. And I, and I had said, look, I like these Fizzle songs, but I, I want something a bit more, I don't know, like, I don't know, I just want something a bit more musical, musical, you know. And um, they said, we're going to put you with this guy, with Johnny Douglas, producer, of course, we did Kylie Minogue and Spinning oh, yeah, Around yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and George Michael. And we're going to put you with him and this guy, Shep. And Shep writes with a guitar. So I was like, well, let's just use the guitar. I'm, I'm cool. Let's write to that. And then that's how we got Do You Know and Sensational. And people were like, we really like these songs. Yeah. This is the way to go. Let's add some guitars to the other stuff we've done to LA. And that's kind of how that happened. Yeah. There's, you only did two albums. Yes. Um, well, no, you've done... I made a third, but it didn't come it out. Didn't, it never came out. Mm. Well, the 90s was kind of... It was a little bit insane for that. Yes. Like you had you had artists that were yeah. still hugely popular. Yeah. Like even if you think yeah. of like Bewitched, yeah. were selling out arenas yeah, they were. and dropped. Yeah. Do you know why? Because the budgets were so big at that point. Um, the money, they had a, when you look back to the 90s, it's crazy. Um, but they had a very, let's throw money at it approach rather than a measured marketing approach. You just threw money at everything. And then if... If something didn't work, they could drop you and it said tax loss. So so oh. they couldn't So that's why they drop people because then they don't it comes off the tax bill and so effectively they don't actually lose money. Um so that's what happens. So they throw money at everything and if it doesn't sell, they've got they've got a point where so so what what my record sold, if they sold that today, people would be very, very happy. Yeah. I mean very happy. But but because it costs so much to make, it's not financially viable. So it becomes, they're, they're better off going, make it a tax loss. Um, to be honest, my case was a little bit different because we were negotiating a different kind of deal. And then EMI stepped in and said, well, we'll, we'll do that deal for you. So, so with, with VMG, it wasn't quite as simple as a straight drop because... So you, you, the album made and then you moved labels and then... No, the old... no, we were negotiating the deal for the third album oh. and they wanted to renegotiate the terms. And EMI were like, well, we won't renegotiate the terms. We'll give, in fact, we'll give you, you know, oh, absolute wow. free reign. We really want you. So it became a bit like, okay, well, I'm better off with BMG not following through on that contract and then going to EMI. So my thing was slightly different, but it's still a hard time because I liked BMG. And yeah. ideally, I did really want to stay with them. Do you know what I mean? But it's just... They, they basically were saying, we can't afford this deal. We'll keep you if you renegotiate. And my management were like, well, no, because we've got people here that will. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how, how did the album then disappear and then that, So what happened is, so the guys that signed me, EMI, fantastic, whoop, whoop, whoop. And then they got sacked. So as I had just finished my album. <laughs> oh, no. They got sacked. This is a terrible story. I mean, it is a disaster. <laughs> it's like a movie. It's like a movie. Right, so they got sacked, and then the new guys came in and went, we want all our own people. And the new guys came in were completely different. They were more indie. They liked indie. They'd come from an independent side of EMI label, and the, and indie was com- becoming big. Yeah, and they were course, like, yeah. we're just going to be all indie stuff or whatever. So what, what do we want this for? We don't want, we don't want this. And plus, we've spent this money, and we don't even want this act. We don't want to be someone else's act why do we oh. want to promote someone else the people you must have been sex. good at uh, that was gutting because the bmg was fine in the sense yeah. that sounds weird bmg 
that made sense to me. The EMI was absolutely gut-wrenching because I'd spent so much time. Did you even come away from it like with a big chunk of change or did you? They did pay, okay, they did pay me, I admit. But that, but the money didn't. That must have been so annoying. The money didn't make up for it in my heart. Do you have a copy of the album? Do you know I don't even have a copy? That's how wounded I was. I spoke to somebody else today that the, the, the exact same thing happened. They didn't. They I don't made, even have. It happened the, to her that, twice. And yeah. I don't even have the album. I don't even have it. I can't even play the songs. How ridiculous is that? That's so terrible. In my head, but in my head, at least they're great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, can, there's no analysing yeah, your vocal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no analysing. But I mean, yeah, I don't even have those songs. Yeah. Because the deal was they'll pay me, but if I want to use the tracks, I'd have to buy them back. And um, at that point, I was really, like, disillusioned, you know? You think, yeah. I don't know if I want to do this. What do you do after that? Like, but then, this is another point, is what happened is Disney were doing Beauty and the Beast recast, and they had cast Tony Braxton on Broadway, and they said, we want to do Michelle Gale. And Disney Britain were like, no, 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 we don't do that here. And they were like, yes, we do. So the Americans flew over, auditioned me, and then I got Beauty and the Beast. So I felt like, you know what, I need a break. And that was the first time, uh, wasn't that the first time a black woman had played the lead yeah, in a Disney Britain. musical? Yeah. In, in Britain. In, in Britain, yeah, because yeah. Tony Braxton had done it. Yeah, yeah. yeah in Broadway, yeah. That's, a, that's an incredible achievement. Yeah, and they did say to Disney, this won't work, this is Britain, you know. This won't work, her as well, but... Was there much of a rewrite? No. They had re what they had done is Alan Alan Menken, God bless him, the legend that is, and um they'd written a new song for Tony Braxton and then they let me sing that new song. Okay. And it was fantastic, yeah, changing me. It's, yeah, it's good. That but you know, you turn up and you've got flowers from Tim Rice and it's just it's absolutely crazy. Do you know what I mean? And that's, yeah, that's what I insane. say. It's really hard to get your head around some stuff. It's and just hard. How difficult was it to go from... Because, like, you were very... Like, when I was saying about the cred thing, mm. I mean, you were... I think Natalie Imbruglia is probably the only yeah, other... Yeah, she did it so well. Yeah, I think, I think... But I think you yeah. did... You were the same. I mm. think, you know, she went the indie route, you mm. were kind of R&B. Yeah. And you had, like, Jules Holland... Yeah, yeah, I did, ...talking yeah. about how you were, yeah. like, the... Yeah. ...the next big thing. Mm. ...but realised her true talent, which was not acting, it is, in fact, singing. Exactly. She's left the local stage of the screen and she's going to go to the world stage of the song. First show of 95. This is her first live appearance of 95. Please welcome a superstar of the future, Michelle Gale! So when you go into, like, where you're, you're kind of part of a cast, and is that a big wrench? or? It was hard and I didn't know any of the etiquette or the rules or... And no one taught me. So, so you were kind of learning on your feet. Um, I had a very hard time on that show. Really? Mm, very, very hard. Just the culture is completely different. I think people think, you know, pop music, I know people have their rivalries, but most of it is, is fake or not true because it's very much a camaraderie there. There's no real, ooh, you're this, you're that backstabbing. But in in musical theatre, for me, it was a culture shock because it, it felt like there's a lot of backstabbing, a lot of behind... <laughs> The scenes talking, you know, everyone wants your role, they're the understudy, they're, you know. Oh God. It's just tricky. And I yeah. found that very hard. And, and in the end, I ended up isolating myself most of the time. How long were you in, in that role? Six months. 
Wow. And I was four months pregnant when I finished it and nobody knew. That's how isolated it was. I didn't tell oh anyone God. I was pregnant. I just used to like strap my, myself in, put my costumes on quickly and I didn't tell anyone. God. No. What did you do after did, after so that? Then, I mean, so was that's that a, why I had the baby. So did I had the baby, yeah. Yes, I had the baby. In it. And then I really had to look at, like, what do I want to do? Um, and I do have to ask you, actually, you were in Reborn. Yeah, I was. And then Reborn was kind of like reborn my, in the USA. my toes back in. I thought, let me do this and see if I want to still do it. I don't know how anyone would want to do anything <laughs> after that show. If, if listeners don't know what Reborn in the oh USA was, it was um, some pop singers that were put on the road in the US and they had to perform live each week under harrowing <laughs> conditions. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can imagine those harrowing conditions were not, they weren't upfront about that. No, n- no. You had no idea. Of course you didn't. You wouldn't have signed up, would you? I mean, mentally, that show was unbelievable it was a real eye-opener to what the industry can do to people because i think i like to think i'm I'm reasonably balanced yeah um but the thing is when i used to work with producers they used to always say you're not like most artists and i used to feel insulted like why are you saying this what do you mean i'm not like most artists you know i was thinking why are they saying this and then i did reborn and i realized that there's a different level of crazy that I just don't get to. No, you're very pragmatic, I'm logical. very pragmatic, <laughs> a very logical person. I'm a very logical person. I'm logical to a fault almost, okay? And that was not the contestants there were some were not logical. extremely difficult personalities, oh, it felt. Unbelievable. And you were unfortunate enough yeah. <laughs> to, to be a finalist yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> to have I know. one of the I longest runs the way. I had the to the live show run. in London and you know I remember phoning people going you are not going to believe what's happened now you know every other day there was something and there's things that you weren't even filmed during your seen you've seen the things that, are, that they've edited in there was so much more going on that they didn't even film because or put in there was like the rouse Sonia and a dollar, oh a dollar. and she seems very sensitive like she Sonia's seems very sensitive. like just a, a a, like a very gentle soul she like is, she is. and they seemed awful <laughs> and then you ended up on the bus like the alpha male I know, I know. the rat pack bus I essentially know, you were the mall it was they had all horrific. the plans the thing is is that you could hear them this is how blatant they were they were on the bus planning their Rat Pack tour, because what happened is every week a woman went, a female, 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 okay. So they knew, guys, whoever's voting at home, the girls are gone, basically. So then it got down to, I was the last girl, and then it was me, Hayden, and then the Rat Pack, when they were making their plans. So that was going to be um, Tony Hadley, Peter Cox, and um, Lee John. So they were. They used to actually openly talk about it. So what we're going to do, guys? When we're the last three, we're going to and they were setting up tours and everything. And I used to think they're going, "Wow, these guys are so like sure." And to be fair, I was sure too that that yeah. was. If I'm honest, I did think that that was what was going to pan out. But I just felt it was a little bit insensitive. I'm saying it while I was still on the coach of them, you know. 
But hey, it's their own. <laughs> and then the first shocker was when, when Hayden went instead of me. And then the other shocker was when, when Lee John went ahead of me and they were... Oh. And then when Peter Cox went... I mean, literally, I remember phoning my husband, running off stage, and I couldn't talk. I was just laughing so much because it was so unexpected. And it was more the fact that, wow... They had been so, you know, hubris. Yeah. It was the meaning of hubris for me. And so, rather than being happy for myself, I was just laughing because I just thought, how did this happen? The world, the universe is so strange because Peter Cox, I was 100% oh, Somebody sure. had to step in. <laughs> I mean, it was insane. I, but I was 100%. I mean, he's brilliant. And, and, yeah. And, oh, yeah. So, it's not like I begrudged him. He was 100% sure he'd get in. And I felt he deserved to. So, you know, I was like, 100%. And then, for some reason, he forgot his lines of the song, of a, of a quite famous song. And he actually said, and this is in New York, and he probably could have done it other places in America, but not in New York. So he was in New York, and he forgot his lines, and he said to the audience, does anybody remember the lines? Which is quite, I think, quite a witty joke. Yeah. We continued. But that first vote to see who gets to the final was done by the American audience. And a New York audience, literally, the producer said, you can hear him saying, you've got your lines, buddy. I don't vote for nobody who forgets their lines, buddy. <laughs> you know, they're like that. They're very hard. <laughs> so in England, his charm and forgetting your lines, we would have gone, oh, fair play to you. It happens. He would have still got the vote. But in New York, it was, it was literally like, it's over. There's no way we're voting for a guy who forgets his lines. It's just not going to happen. And that's what, so that's why sometimes fate yeah. Just throw things at you that was completely unexpected. Oh my God. Mm. It was like Reborn in the USA was just one of those TV shows that I think will be, if anyone ever uploads the whole thing <laughs> yeah. to YouTube, it will be one of those things that will be just revered in retrospect. People go, like, what the hell what happened the with hell this? What the hell was going on? This car crash. And did you, um, like, after that, like, you, you did the live final, so mm -hmm. you, you, mm -hmm. you know, did you have any plans like we kind of like I, I'm because I mean the performance of Sweetness mm. for example mm. on, that, on that live mm. final I mean people went absolutely yeah, bananas it went really for it well. yeah. it was just amazing it went really well um, yeah I think you think well maybe shall I shan't I um, and I did speak to a few record companies but it was so hard at that time to to know where you wanted know, to be yeah. and, and place yourself and the commitment and remember how much it was changing from CD It was in the middle of the digital right revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I had started writing and I'd had that experience of Reborn. I just thought... I know, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so, you did a couple of books, didn't you? Yeah, I started writing. It's, well, it's interesting. You, on Reborn in the USA, it said a couple of times, they say, about how opinionated you are. Mm -hmm. Which I think when it's boiled down and reduced a bit, it's kind of, Michelle Gale has opinions. Yeah. And a woman, <laughs> should a black woman dare to have an opinion? Which is, which, yeah, which is now. I mean, the thing is, is that what I found is, is that I'm very much a team player. So what happened is I would hear the gripes of everyone else and I would think, well, why should voice that? Because they're really upset, not thinking, well, why aren't they saying it? Yeah. But they were all thinking, well, I don't want to say this on TV and look a certain way. Where I was thinking, well, I'm, much, I'm very much like a justice kind of person. Yeah. So I was very much like, well, you know, everyone's upset. They don't want this girl on the bus. 
I'm going to say it because I can hear how upset they are. So I go up and say, no, this girl's not coming on the bus. And then all of a sudden, I'm the troublemaker. And everyone else, when you turn around to them, they're like, quiet. No one backs you up. You're like, oh my goodness. I've really like stuck my neck out. And then when it came down to it, everyone went quiet and no one backed me. So, but I just felt, well, I've said it now. I've just got to run with it. And that has kind of become part of your... I don't want to say brand, it's very mm. trite. Mm. But you've, I mean, you do a lot of that now. Mm. Like, you, you are quite outspoken. Mm. I mean, yeah. there's a clip of you online mm. where I kind of really feel for you because it's like you're trying, everyone's trying to defend the Oscars. Yeah. You know what we need? Let's have quotas for, for 47-year-old mothers of one. I've never been nominated for an Oscar. But if the I reality was is Latin that America ugly, now, old, fat a, people don't get nominated. Yeah, if you're of no, Spanish no, descent I, I or... I, I, I think the wider, the wider issue descent. is is that not that they're lovies. I think the wider issue is actually there's a whole bunch of people in the world right. who feel underrepresented. And if someone like Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith can say, actually, it's important to people of colour to see that they matter on screen. You know, the thing but is, is p- I think that's a brilliant thing to say. have moments like that where you're thinking, I'm an entertainer and a singer, and yeah. how the hell have I suddenly <laughs> landed in it? Like, it, it, are, do people go, oh, she can talk, she's black, Michelle Gale, she's, she's our go-to person on stuff like this? Um, sometimes, yeah. I think they think, well, I think what they think is, Michelle will actually say what she thinks. Okay. She won't... They don't know what I'm going to say, but they know that I'll be honest. I won't play the game or try and say what I think the audience want to hear. Do you know what I mean? I'm just honest. And I think even if people don't agree with you, they respect if you're being honest. And I think what you don't like is someone's trying to be controversial for the sake of it. Yeah. That's annoying. Or when someone's trying to ride, ride whatever's popular. Yeah. That's annoying. But I think... You can we can back and forth with something and respect each other if you know. Do you know what? That's genuine. That that's what yeah. I truly believe. Um, and so that's what I find is people know. Well, I'll be honest. Um, and most people aren't willing necessarily to be honest. Yeah. You you recently on Loose Women. You mm. you recently spoke about um mm. like your your Me Too moment. Yeah. Um, which that must have been quite hard to do. Yeah, it was. I, but I just feel like. So many people have taken that leap. Yeah. And I think it's really important that this doesn't happen. Like, it's not normalised. Yeah. Because it yeah. was normalised. Completely. In my head, it was completely normalised. This is all part of it. And when that happened, did you feel, did you feel that this is just part of the job? This is- I was horrified. I hated it. I hated every single moment of it. I was just, it was a struggle. But in the back of my head, I still felt that this is part of it. I've just got to navigate through this awful situation um, and try and be as nice as I can and try and balance it so that I don't offend him too much, but I still maintain who I am. And this was, just to clarify for listeners, this was somebody that was working on on one of your records. Yeah. That just, it was kind of made clear that if, you know, if you were willing to whatever, that... It would be a better record. It would be a better record, much better record. Have much, many more hits. <laughs> yeah, and I wasn't willing to do that, no. With all of that that's going on now, I mean, how do you, how do you see, do you think that it's a movement that's here to stay? Because uh, it's interesting, I spoke to the guy that um, created Cagney and Lacey, mm-hmm. and he talks, he, he told, everything that he was saying about what was happening in the late 70s, early 80s, 
was all about you know this new empowerment of women. Women finally got an era drama on mm. you know they were paying Which for this expense for television. Wasn't it, it was incredible. Way ahead of his time. And but then he said the whole thing comes in circles, which it does because mm. you know they're rebooting it now. Are you know, good? in 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 nineteen, in, you know, whenever bridesmaids came out, all mm. of a sudden it was yeah, women can women. do comedy. You're like, yeah. what? Hello. Lucille Ball. Yeah, like, I know, I know. Yeah, you're um, right. And it's waves, isn't it? Is it? Do you think that the cycle? Do you think that this is a permanent change, or do you think it is a it, it is a wave? I think Me Too is a permanent change because I just think now that a girl coming up now knows it's completely acceptable. She won't normalize it, and she will say, "No way," and I will report you. So I think. Now, my son is not going to think it's okay to do that. He's just, he just isn't because he's too aware now of that movement and, and what the, the kind of the new rules are. But my son's 18, so it's not like he was like that before. So he hasn't got to curb himself. He hasn't got to, oh, no, I used to do this and now I do that. He's just it's growing just, it's up. A, it's, a new, it's a new thing. He just yeah. knows this is the way it is. And I, and I think as long as people maintain that, which I think they will, um, yeah, you won't. An eighteen-year-old new singer is not going to have that pressure anymore. Before we go, do you think is there going to be a tr- return musically? Yeah, um, you did some recording recently for the the, the the song. Yeah, I have recorded the song recently, and I. It's funnily enough, someone is talking to me, a producer, about perhaps doing something else. So. Watch this space. <laughs> so watch this space. So perhaps there, perhaps there might be perhaps, another. Perhaps never say never. Okay. Well, that's like, fingers crossed. Is there any chance? Well, actually, is there any chance? I was going to say, is there any chance of you singing "Sweetness" anytime in the in the near future? I don't know. But when was? Do you remember the last time you sang it? Sweetness. No. Oh, do you know what I sang it at my friend's wedding? <laughs> yeah, I sang at my friend's wedding in August, September. Oh wow. Yeah. September. How's your your son's eighteen? How's how's he react when you sing "Sweetness"? He, he just do you know what he smiles? I mean, he tries to be cool, clearly, but <laughs> but he's still kind of proud of me. Yeah, of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, thank you so thank much for your time. You. You've got to go and get ready because yeah, you have a show do. to do yeah, in front yeah, yeah. of uh, a packed Blackpool Grand Theatre. That was the lovely Michelle Gale. If you enjoyed that lovely free show, please do recommend it on social media and leave a nice review on iTunes because it really helps get the show out there. And it only takes a minute. Now, Michelle is on tour with the musical Son of a Preacher Man, which will be in the Board Gash Energy Theatre in Dublin from the 22nd to the 26th of May. But Michelle is not the only former fascinated guest performing there. You can also catch Ben Adams from A1 and episode 29, starring in Flashdance from the 11th to the 16th of June. You can follow Michelle on Twitter. She is at MichelleGale1. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Garode Farrelly. Um, now, I'm new to Instagram, so it's mainly photographs of my cat and my dinners. Nothing too exciting, but sure say hello anyway. Thanks to Michelle and to everyone at the Headstuff Podcast Network. Please do check out their other shows. I also really enjoy listening to the Alison Spittle show, partly because she's a brilliant comedian and partly because she's my very good friend. I'll have a new episode soon. Thanks for listening. Podcasting tip number 155. When you're printing out your links, remember cats hate printers. Boots! I don't know why, but they do. 
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Put industry leading, difference making, and tomorrow shaping on your to-do list. Explore Deloitte technology careers at deloitte.com slash tech careers and engineer your future at Deloitte. 